privilege to be here today. Um, and not only do we have a home in Kenya, we also now have a home which we're about to open in Pakistan. Last time I was here, that was not even on our radar whatsoever. And God has just done this ridiculous work, which I just did not expect to happen. Uh, you know, when I signed up for the call of God, um, Pakistan uh, was not on my heart, was not on my agenda at all. But God did an incredible thing. And um, we know we do have a dignity project, which we mentioned on the video, where we give girls who are at risk of trafficking and who are being abused, we give them uh, reusable sanitary products. Now, again, when I prayed for God to use me, I never imagined that it would involve talking about sanitary products on a regular basis, but I've become a bit of an expert on the female biological system. So um, it's something I now talk about almost every day of my life. But there you go. And we get, it gets us to go to countries which we would never normally be able to go to as Christians. So it opens doors in places like Pakistan. So last year we showed up to Pakistan and 1,100 girls came out for the Dignity Project. 1,100. And all of them were, I mean, it's a 99.5% Islamic nation. So the Christian population there is so small. And just a few thousand Christians in the whole country. And just a very tough place to be as a Christian. So we go there, we preach Jesus, we give out the sanitary paths, we teach about the dangers of trafficking and abuse, we tell the girls that God loves them, and then on our final day, we get the opportunity to go to um, a brick factory. Now you may not know what one of those is, but a brick factory in Pakistan is where thousands of, there's 20,000 of these factories across Pakistan. And man, our hearts were so touched. When we go there, we meet a little kid who's working for 14 hours a day in the heat, seven days a week, making bricks. I met one lady who was a Christian. And I said, how long have you been in here? She said, well, I came because I needed a C-section to have a baby. And to have the baby, um, I needed a loan to be able to pay for the C-section. So the brick factory owner, the master, gave me $250, which enabled me to have my surgery. Okay. Then I said, well, how much money do you owe back? Because she said he offered me a job in return for the money, and I could pay off the debt by working for him. She said, that was 15 years ago, and the debt is now $2,500. I said, how does that work? She said, well, they just keep adding interest and it's more money than what they pay me. So I will never, ever be able to pay that debt back. And that's the same for almost a million people in Pakistan. The government knows about it, but turns a blind eye to it. But we're able to go in there. And man, I, w I was so kind of touched. You know, if you meet those kids, you, you can't really walk away without wanting to do something. Um, you know, very often we say, the need is the call. People often say, what's the call of God look like for you? Well, for me, it looks like the need, whatever's in front of me, that's what the call of God looks like for me. So I was kind of praying and um, decided really very quickly that we were going to build a children's home right there in Pakistan. We've already got a school there, which we support and help, but we're going to build a home. Now, that was less than a year ago. And in 12, we needed a quarter of a million dollars. And I'm just, I'm delighted to tell you today that all the money for the home, including the furniture, all the finishings, is in, done. 
okay? So in, come on. So in May, we go back there and we're going to open up the home and we're hoping eventually to have about 100 kids in there. Now, the thing which we desperately need help, we don't need a big offering today for the home. Um, but what we do need is people, individual people who can stand with us on a monthly basis and say, you know what, I'm going to sponsor one child. I think we had about 15 kids so far sponsored today. And my goal today was maybe we could get 20, 25 kids sponsored. So if you can help, um, it's just $30 per month. I don't receive anything from this nonprofit. I get a salary by my church back in England, and that's it. And this all channels to where it needs to go. So if you can help us, it's $30 per month. Um, just have a think about that throughout the service. And if God touches your heart, then please come and see us and we'll assign you to one child. And you get to sponsor that child. You can keep the photograph. You can pray for them. You can write to them. You can send gifts. You can exchange mail with them and really develop a bond because, man, this is dark stuff we're dealing with here. This is children trapped in slavery. So it's, it's pretty dangerous. So um, have a think about that. It's just $30 a month and I'll be at that back table. Then I'm going to go for a rocket burger. Okay. My wife's in Lake Charles, and tonight we're going to be speaking in Mandeville uh, near New Orleans at Church of the King over there. So it's a big, busy day. I think we're doing seven services between us today, so it's a, it's a little bit crazy. And then um, my wife flies back to England on Tuesday, and then I'm going up to Ohio for a few days. So it's, it's constantly like this all year round, so it's, it's a bit of a unique setup. But God seems to be making it all work, and we still love each other, and we still love Jesus, so it seems to be going pretty well. So, got a word on my heart, which I think is going to help you. You know, I'm not here just to tell you stories. I'm here to hopefully inspire you to do more in your walk with God. Um, who wants to see Jesus? Okay? Everyone. Every hand is in the air. Of course you want to see Jesus. But sometimes in life, Circumstances happen which stop us from seeing God. Let's read from the scripture. We're going to read Luke chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He worked for the IRS and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short... Anyone else got that problem in here today? Okay, I see a few hands just about. He could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached for spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So, Today we're going to talk about positioning your life to see Jesus. Everybody wants to see Jesus. Sometimes we can't see him. Have you ever had a situation in life where you think, God, where are you? 
Where are you? Maybe it's a marriage situation. Maybe your marriage is going through a tough time right now. You think, man, where is God in this? Maybe it's your job and your boss is giving you a hard time. Maybe it's, you know, you felt God had opened up a door for this certain job and now it's a few months in and, man, this isn't what God, I thought you put me here. Maybe it's a finance thing and you're looking at that bank account, that bank statement, you're saying, God, I really can't see you on there. Maybe it's like a sickness, and the doctor's giving you some news, and you're thinking, God, where are you? So sometimes we can get in situations where we can't see Jesus. Now, I'm going to be honest with you here and and confess that there have been times in my life when I haven't been able to see God, and it's been my fault. I've turned to sin. I've turned to stupid things which have damaged my walk with Christ. Yeah, you ever been there? Well, you've had a bit of a bad patch in your, in your walk? You start doing things, yeah, come on. You start doing things you, you, you shouldn't be doing? How many know that's, that's going to damage your relationship with God and maybe you're not going to be able to see him how you should be seeing him? So that's, that's kind of your responsibility, right? To live a holy, pure life before God. But sometimes we fail to see God and it isn't our fault It's not your husband's fault or your wife's fault or your mom or dad's fault. Maybe it's nobody's fault. You just can't see God. Little Zacchaeus over here who we've been talking about, I'm sure he didn't decide to be short. I'm certain, in fact, that if Zacchaeus had the opportunity to design his exterior, he may have made himself a few inches taller. And I don't know about you, but certainly for me, there are one or two things which I would change about my appearance if I could. Now, you don't need to tell me what they are, okay? I can take a good guess. But one thing I'm reasonably happy with is my height. I'm six foot tall. I'm happy with my height. My brother, he's short. And I'm glad that he's short. (laughs) It's one thing I got on him, is my height. Now, I'm not short, but listen to this. Listen carefully. I can fall short as a Christian and as a human being. In fact, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You may have heard that scripture before. There's another scripture where Paul writes, there is not one righteous. No, not one. In other words, everyone is on a journey and everyone is dealing with some stuff. Even if you're a pastor in here today, even if you work on the dream team, even if you've got a position, guess what? You're struggling with stuff like the rest of us are. No one's perfect except God. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm going to talk for a few moments about falling short. You know, as a, as a missionary, when you are doing what I do, you have a weight of financial responsibility on your shoulders, which those of you who run companies and own businesses will understand. It's pretty, um, nobody really understands the pressure of being a leader until they are a leader. And it's a 24-7 response, but you don't get a day off from being a leader, okay? You may have a day off from the office, but you don't have a day off mentally from running a business 
or a non-profit or a church or whatever God has put you in charge is a 24-7 commitment, which most people don't understand. So financially, guess what? I fall short. I mean, I'm 31 years old, and I know you might say you look a little bit older than that. Well, this is why, okay? Okay? Because the responsibility we have is humongous. 45 people every month in Kenya, I have to pay their salary. 45. In Pakistan, that's going to be added maybe 10 or 15 people. We've got a project in Sri Lanka where we're feeding widows and their children who are war victims and have no way of taking care of themselves. We're also establishing businesses in Sri Lanka to try and support these women and give them sustainable income. This dignity project, I mean, we're looking at a project in India where we're going to have anywhere between five and 10,000 girls show up in one day, and the budget is looking at seventy-five dollars to $85,000 right now, which I've got to pay by November. It's a lot of money. Pakistan, children, meals, clothes, homework, home studies, uniforms, I mean, education, health bills. I mean, imagine that multiplied by hundreds of kids. So I regularly fall short. But guess what? I position my life in a place where I can see Jesus. And I'm going to show you how I do that. This is not about finance, but I'm going to take two minutes to tell you a story. Turn to the person next to you and say, bananas. In an English accent. There you go. The queen would be proud of you all. In the first service, I said y'all and felt like I've disgraced my country. <laughs> but um, So, Bananas. Now, why am I saying bananas? Well, I was in Alabama a few years ago. I know how much you guys love Alabama around here. And there was a pastor I was with. And he was with me. He's a mutual friend of Pastor Bubba and I. And he looked at my wife over Starbucks and said, I got a word from God for you. So we got excited because the man of God's going to prophesy. And it's like, yay, word from God. And he looks at her and says, bananas. What? Bananas? What is this guy on about? And he honestly said, God says bananas. One day you'll understand why I'm thinking this guy's losing the plot. This is crazy. I'm going back to London. So these Alabama people, crazy. So I, um, I get back there, and then, then I end up in a church six months later, and the lady comes up to me. We're building our children's home in Kenya at this time. We need $300,000. We had nothing. And when I, see, when I say nothing, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Like we had, we were zero, okay? And we had no hope. $300,000 to us back then may well have been 10 million. It was that impossible. It really was. So I um, went to preach at a church and a lady came up to me afterwards and she said, hey, I'm going to do a sponsored walk and I'm going to give the finance from the walk to your home project. I thought, well, God bless you. That's very kind of you. And I forgot all about it. I'm going to be really honest with you. A few weeks go by, she emails me, and she says, Pastor, I did the walk, and I raised $19,000. I'm like, wow, that is a long walk. Where did you go? So she's like saying, look, well, I got 4000 from my friends and family, but then one businessman gave $15,000. I was like, wow, that's amazing. So I'm kind of like, um, you know, 
I want to meet this guy. And a few months later, I got to go back and I met him. I went to his home. It's a big home with tennis courts and acres of land and loads of cars. And, you know, he's a very old, frail man who answers the door. We come in there. And as we're talking, sharing stories, my wife's telling all about how, what we do. And he gives another $10,000 in his house. He's now given $25,000 in one hour of meeting him. I'm like, I want to spend more time with this guy. <laughs> so this is like amazing. $25,000. So I'm like... Man, that, that is, that's crazy. That's so cool. So um, then I start to ask him, what do you do for a living? Or what did you do for a living? He's retired. He tells me about gas station chain and ice cream parlors. And then he talks about um, insurance companies. And he's telling me all about this big, he, he was the owner of the Cincinnati Reds baseball team. Like his family owned that, that team. So I mean like big stuff. And then right at the end, he's like, but we sold one business for one billion Dollars. I said, what was the name of it? And he said, it was Chiquita Bananas. <laughs> the little blue sticker you get on your banana. My friend's family owned that company. So he went on, he went on to give almost $100,000 in those early days of us starting up. You see, you might fall short, but when you position your life in a place to see Jesus, you will always see him. Um, a few years back, I, my, my body fell short. Um, no, I didn't shrink, but my, I had a terrible sickness where I was diagnosed with um, cerebral malaria. I had every symptom of Ebola. Remember the Ebola outbreak? Don't worry, I don't have it now. You're okay. It's all good. I'm clean. Um, people look a bit scared. They shook my hand on the way in. I'm, you're not, not going to die. Um, but I had um, every symptom of Ebola. I did not have Ebola, but I had cerebral malaria, which affects your lungs, your liver, your kidneys, your heart, and your brain. Your whole body goes into shutdown, and then you die a slow and painful death. Not fun. Okay? Not fun. 5% of it in your body can kill. I was at 50%. So pretty much done. On top of that, my body was allergic to the medicine so there's not really anything I could do. I mean, I was unconscious. I was, I was just kind of, that was it. I honestly thought this is it. 27 years old, I was going to die. And then my wife did what all good Christian women would do when their husband's in a moment of crisis, and she logged onto Facebook <laughs> and typed out a message saying, please pray for my husband, Matthew. We need a miracle. That's it. That was it. And then God sent that message around the world. People shared it and thousands of people prayed. And the next thing you know, my lungs are getting better. My heart's getting better. My kidneys are getting better. My liver's getting better. My brain, well, kind of still working on that one. But God healed me. And I'm here today as a testimony, as a story of God's healing power. Come on. You see, I fell short, but I positioned my life in a place. I saw him. I saw him touch my body. I saw him heal me. I live a normal, healthy life, eating rocket burgers. Thank God. <laughs> Finally, I fall short regularly in the area of children's ministry. I get the privilege of working with children. And, and someone once said to me, it's better to build boys and girls than to fix men and women. It's better to, to raise boys and girls and fix men and women. And I want to say today, if you work in the children's department here, we love you, we need you, we honor you. Man, thank God for children's workers. 
I mean, really? What a privilege it is to be able to minister to children every week and give them a godly, pure, biblical upbringing. So we love children's workers, man. They're the most important people in the church. They're not looking after the church of tomorrow. They're looking after the church of today. We need kids. You touch your child. You touch your family. You touch your family. You touch your neighborhood. You touch your community. So it always starts with children. Jesus tells us to be like children. That's a whole other sermon. But very often, you know, we now have 10,000 kids in, in our care in Africa. I mean, 10,000? I mean, it's, it's just mind-blowingly amazing how big this project has grown. And 10,000 kids every week come to our Sunday school program, which we hold in local schools. And it's fascinating, but it's also heartbreaking when you come across certain stories of certain individuals who've just been through hell. I'm going to tell you about one, one little boy named Shadrach. He's, he's maybe 16 now, maybe 15. But he came to us when he was nine. And Shadrach told us a story of how his dad died when he was a baby of malaria. And his mum, he witnessed his own mother get stoned to death. He saw that happen. So now he's got no dad, he's got no mum. And his brother's his best friend. In fact, in Africa, very often you get all the siblings and all the children will sleep in one bed together because that's all they got. And he would sleep in bed next to his brother. And one night his uncle broke into the home. There'd been a dispute. And the uncle just got out of jail and determined he was going to get revenge on the nephew who had kind of told the police some of the crimes he'd been committing. He said, I'm going to get him. And he climbed into the bed. He climbed over Shadrach. And he began to strangle the brother. And he killed the brother. And Shadrach was laid in bed, shaking with fear. As his little brother lost his life right next to him. Imagine that. Maybe you've had a pretty tough time, but that's a pretty tough deal. Three of his closest family members dead. And he knocks on my door and wants help. I got nothing. Can you help me? Now, people may say certain things about us. I guess it's a matter of opinion. Some people would say, oh, you're a great preacher and your wife's an amazing communicator. My wife, she has her own television program and written books and she gets invited all around the world and you know, she's an incredible blessing. She's a great, and these things are great. But no matter how good you are, no matter how slick you are, no matter how wealthy you are, you don't have the power to change that child. Only God can do that. I fall short. I look at situations like that and think, I can't do anything. But God can. And God does. And we've seen Shadrach turn into an amazing, happy, joyful boy. He wants to be a sprinter, a runner. And he's spirit-filled, joyful, on fire for Jesus. You would not think he'd been through any of that trauma at all because when we position our lives to see Jesus we see him change other people so going back to our little friend Zacchaeus how did he see Jesus what did he do that put him above the crowd you see as a pastor I receive many complaints on a regular basis from church people who would say something like this, Pastor, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Pastor, I don't know what God's call looks like for me. Maybe today you're in a situation where you feel like that. 
you're wondering what your tomorrow looks like and your Christian walk is lacking purpose. You love God, you pay your tithes, you worship God, you're a regular church attendee, but something in your heart is missing. Zacchaeus decided to do something about his problem. God was nowhere to be seen, so he was going to see God regardless of his situation. He wasn't going to let his height, his natural problem, stop him from his supernatural God. Zacchaeus decided to climb a tree. Zacchaeus took a risk. Zacchaeus put himself in a dangerous position. Zacchaeus determined that he would take a risk for God. And he began to climb that tree. Friend, when I go to Pakistan, you know what I'm doing? I'm climbing trees. You know what I'm doing? I'm taking risks. You know what I'm doing? It's a little bit uncomfortable when you climb a tree. You may get a few knocks. You may take a little battering. You may get a few bruises. You may fall and have to get back up again. But I guarantee you, if you keep going, you will see what you need to see. When I go to Pakistan, I have to have armed guards with me. When I go to the restroom, they wait outside. When I go to bed, they're around. I have to have machine gun guards with AK-47s waiting at the door because it's so dangerous because Christians have been burnt alive where I go. It's not the place. I can't take mission teams there. There's no application form. It's too dangerous. People have looked at me. Good people have said, do not do this. You are being foolish. And I respect them. I honor them. But I have to say, look, guys, I'm willing to take this risk. And I know I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to be there in six weeks' time. Please pray for me if you remember. I'm going to go right in these factories. I'm going to get these kids out and say, I've got you a brand new home. I'm going to tell them all about our Savior's church, Jennings. I'm going to tell them about all the churches across America and England that have helped. I'm going to be able to say, guess what? They built this home for you. Come and experience freedom. Come and experience the joy and liberty of serving Christ with no chains. Wow, I get to do that. You think that's seeing Jesus? I do. When I see Jesus in the next few years, change these kids, give them dreams and visions, give them hopes and futures, you better believe it. That's me seeing Jesus. Now, Zacchaeus isn't the only person in the Bible who couldn't see Jesus. I'm just going to finish in a few moments' time. There was one other person in the Bible who couldn't see Jesus. His name was Thomas. We've affectionately nicknamed him Doubting Thomas. Thomas said, I don't believe that Jesus has raised from the dead. I don't believe it. Unless I put my hands where the nails went, and unless... I put my hand in the side where the spear went. I won't believe. So guess what happened? Jesus showed up. And Jesus said, Thomas, touch my wounds. Get your hands dirty. Yeah? Put your hands where no one else wants them to go. And you're going to see me. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And he sees Jesus. One by one has 10,000 children a week in its Sunday school. 
We have several hundred children in our homes who we give 24-7 care for. But it all started with one life. My wife, Becky, was on a mission trip to Sierra Leone. I was with her in 2006. Sierra Leone is a poverty-stricken, war-ravaged nation torn by a rebel fight which lasted for years and there were thousands of victims. And we were walking on the streets of Bo, Sierra Leone when a little girl, aged nine, was there begging for money. She was wearing a pink T-shirt and she was wearing no shoes. So my wife did what probably most people in this room would have done. And she leaned down and said, Sweetheart, can I spend one dollar and buy you some shoes? This little girl was touched. She was overwhelmed. But what she said next shocked us to our very core. Felicity looked at my wife and wrongly assumed that the only reason that my wife had bought her the shoes was so she could have favors from her in return in the bedroom. My wife was broken, shattered, distraught as she looked into the eyes of this nine-year-old girl and wondered what those nine years must have looked like for her to think that, not of me, a man, but of another woman. That moment was a catalyst moment in the life of one by one. We determined at that point that we would be transformed to do something more for the gospel. What started with one life has now turned into thousands of lives. And what started with touching one little girl has reached into thousands of lives across the world. That wasn't comfortable. It was touching a wound. It was getting our hands dirty. It was climbing a tree. But here we are today celebrating because we see Jesus. So what does it look like for you as I conclude and go for my rocket burger? What does this message mean for you? Well, all of us have a responsibility and an opportunity to reach lives. Could it be that the reason you don't see Jesus is because maybe you haven't taken enough risks? Maybe God's calling you to climb a metaphorical tree. Maybe God's asking you to touch some wounds that you perhaps don't want to touch. Maybe... Just maybe God has a plan for you, but he's waiting for you to take that risk. Not everyone can get on a plane to Pakistan. I understand that. Not everyone's crazy enough to do that. I certainly understand that. But everyone here can pray, and everyone here can give, and everyone here can do something for the kingdom of God. Climbing a tree for you might look like just kind of being a good witness for Christ in your family. Maybe climbing a tree for you could be opening up your mouth at the workplace. You know, today is Mother's Day in England, Mothering Sunday. I remember looking at my mom a few years back and saying, I am an atheist. I don't want your God. I don't believe in your God. I think it's all a fairy tale. And here we are a few years later, and I'm the one going to Pakistan to preach the gospel. Keep praying for your kids. Come on. Keep praying. Climbing trees and touching wounds. What is God asking you to do? 
Maybe it's sponsoring a child. I'll be at that back table and I would love to see you and explain more about what we're doing in Pakistan and explain to you how $30, that's it, $1 a day, can literally get a kid out of slavery and into freedom. I pray that God would touch your heart today and encourage you to take risks for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, JJ. Thank you, Boston Matt. That is extraordinary. That is just extraordinary. You know, maybe for you today, the first risk you've got to take is to put your hand in Jesus' hand, to make that decision to start following Jesus Christ with and believing in him, him with all your heart. So I want us to pray together and give folks here today an opportunity to respond to this call. So can we all just close our eyes real quick? If you, if you need to make a commitment today to follow Jesus Christ, and it's the very first time you're going to make that commitment. You want to acknowledge that you have fallen short and that you need Jesus to be your Savior, and you need to put your hand in His hand today to lead you forward. Why don't you just put up your hand real quick? I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Hands going up. One, two, three, four, five, six. Anybody else want to, want to make this decision today to just... Put your hand in Christ's hand. and That's six. Can we all do this together? Can we all just pray out loud with everybody to allow these people to make a public commitment to Jesus Christ today? Let's all pray this. Let's say, Father God, we believe that Jesus Christ died for us on the cross. And Lord, today I make a decision to give my life over to him. I realized that Christ died on my behalf and that today by faith I can become a child of God. So I believe in you, Christ, and what you did for me. And I trust in you alone to bring me to heaven. Lord, I thank you that I can pray over these people a blessing, Father. Thank you that today the miracle of rebirth takes place in their hearts as they decide to put their trust in you and you alone for their salvation. Lord, I also pray, Father, that you will lead them on in this journey of getting to know you and understanding this relationship that starts today with their Heavenly Father. I thank you for this in Jesus' name.